You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about the difference between the words hearty and hardy a meaty middle about how English became English, and a tidbit about the term jury-rigged. A listener named Cheryl left a comment on the Grammar Girl Facebook page asking me to write about the difference between hardy and hardy. She wrote, quote, I'm a writer and I get confused on the usage of these two adjectives. Love your podcast and appreciate your shows and tips, unquote. Thanks, Cheryl. I'm not surprised you get these words confused, because not only do they sound the same, but they also have overlapping meanings, or at least they used to. For example, hundreds of years ago, one meant courageous and spirited, and the other meant bold and fearless. Pretty similar, right? Well, try to put that out of your mind, because today they have different meanings. Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y, is related to words in other languages such as Old French, Old Norse, and Old German that meant hard. So associate hardy in your mind with hardness. A plant that can survive a cold winter is hardy. It's tough. It's hard. People who successfully endure hardships, physical or emotional, can also be described as hardy. Hearty, on the other hand, H-E-A-R-T-Y, comes from the word heart, with the suffix y added to the end, as suffixes always are. It has a sense of from the heart, and can be used to describe people who are warm and sincere, or a meal that's nourishing and filling. Whereas something tough and able to endure hardship or cold is described as hardy, something that is warm and vigorous, like the heart, is more likely to be described as hearty. And that's your quick and dirty tip. Think of hardy things as cold and hard, such as a plant that can endure the winter or a hiker who can scale a mountain. And think of hearty things as warm and heartfelt, such as a hearty welcome or a hearty meal. While no one knows what tomorrow may bring, Bridgestone is working toward a more positive outlook. With innovations like developing a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials. It's just one of the many ways Bridgestone is making a difference today, for generations to come. Because that's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules, only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. 
Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. For the meaty middle today, I have an excerpt from Simon Horobin's new book, How English Became English. The whole book is fascinating, but I especially liked the part about English in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and South Asia, because I don't know as much about these forms of English as I do about American and British English. So it brings a new perspective that I haven't been able to share with you in the past. Here's an abbreviated excerpt from Simon's Global English chapter. English in Canada. The spread of English to Canada was the consequence of colonies established by New Englanders in the 18th century, principally constituted of those who remained loyal to Britain following the American Declaration of Independence in 1776. At the same time, settlers arrived from England, Scotland, and Ireland, adding further dialects to the mixture. As a result, there are many similarities between the English heard in Canada and America, although Canadian English shares several features with the English spoken in the UK. In terms of pronunciation, Canadians tend to sound like Americans to most people from outside North America. Distinctive features include the rhotic pronunciation of car, the D-like pronunciation of bottle, and the use of American alternatives like tomato for British English tomato and schedule for British English schedule. Canadian English doesn't follow American English in all cases. British English preferences are found in words like news, which is pronounced news rather than news, and in the pronunciation of anti, where American English has anti. Whereas Canadian English follows American English in much of its vocabulary, compare gas to the British English petrol, sidewalk to the British English pavement, trunk to the British English boot, it preserves English words such as tap, where American English would use faucet, cutlery, where American English would use silverware, and serviette, where American English would use napkin. Canadian English spellings tend to follow British conventions, such as honor and color, which both have a U, center and theater, which end with R-E instead of E-R, although some individual words like curb and tire follow the American practice. English in Australia and New Zealand. The same process of dialect mixing that triggered a distinctive American variety lies behind the Englishes spoken in Australia and New Zealand. British convicts who were transported to Australia in the late 18th and 19th centuries were frequently of Cockney and Irish extraction, 
so that these dialects have a particular importance for the formation of the distinctive Australian accent. Colonial lag is evident in the preservation of some archaic English words, such as the Australian tucker for food, from the word tuck, still preserved in old-fashioned English tuck shops and tuck boxes, and dunny for toilet, which was current in English slang of the late 18th century. Other features which are uniquely Australian are words formed by adding an IE ending, such as Barbie for barbecue, coldy for cold beer, rallies for relatives, and even Aussie, as well as contractions such as Arvo for afternoon, journo for journalist, and butte for beauty. British settlers in Australia adopted local words from Aboriginal languages to describe cultural objects and practices specific to Australia, such as the boomerang from the Daruk language, and indigenous animals such as koala, wallaby, and kangaroo. The first settlers in New Zealand arrived in the 1790s, although official colonies weren't established until 1840. Because this is a more recent variety, more is known about the dialects of the earliest settlers who first migrated from Britain to New Zealand. Recordings made in the 1940s of speakers born and raised in New Zealand reveal a liberal and apparently random conglomeration of features drawn from a great variety of English dialects. Greater affinity to Britain has led to acceptance of more influence from the English spoken in Britain, while a desire to set the New Zealand usage apart from that of Australia has prompted further distinctive differences in accent. Where the Australian accent tends to pronounce the name Sydney as Sydney, New Zealanders prefer a Sydney-style pronunciation. English in South Asia The origins of South Asian English lie in Britain. The English language was established in India, Singapore, Malaysia, and Hong Kong as they were incorporated within the British Empire. During the period of British sovereignty in India, English was adopted as the principal language of administration, law, and education. Today, English retains official recognition as an associate language of India, along with the main official language of Hindi, although in some areas it's the official language while in others, it's preferred to Hindi as the lingua franca. Since the population of India is in excess of a billion people, this creates the potential for a vast collection of English speakers, although the varying levels of education mean that the total number is closer to 250 million, with perhaps a further 350,000 using English as a second language. A further 22 million people speak English as a second language in Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, Bhutan, and Sri Lanka. English is used in Hong Kong, Singapore, and Malaysia as the medium for the education, legal, and administrative systems, though it's not accorded any form of official status. English enjoys a more central role in Singapore than in Malaysia, where Malay is dominant, or in Hong Kong, where Chinese has primary status. Mixed Varieties, Singlish The interaction between English and these Asian varieties has led to considerable language mixing. In Singapore, a new variety known as Singlish has emerged. While the Singaporean education system, its broadcast corporation, and newspapers, such as the Strait Times, continue to recognize standard British English in its received pronunciation accent, 
many Singaporeans employ a colloquial variety, which mixes English with Malay and Chinese. A characteristic instance of such mixing is the frequent use of the Chinese discourse particles la and ah, tagged onto the ends of sentences to convey emphasis, okay la, or to indicate a question, should I go ah? Singlish incorporates loanwords, such as the Malay makan for food, in Chinese ang pao for cash gift, while words of English origin have different meanings, such as send meaning take, and stay meaning live. Further distinctive features of Singlish include its tendency to drop articles, you have book, drop plural inflections, I have two car, drop verb endings, yesterday I walk home, this taste good, and even to drop the verb to be, this man clever. Despite its widespread use, especially among the younger generation, the official status of Singlish continues to provoke controversy. The Singapore government remains firmly committed to the promotion of standard English as the language of education, trade, commerce, and technology. In order to challenge the widespread use of Singlish, in 2000 the government launched the Speak Good English campaign, which aimed to promote standard English at the expense of Singlish, considered to be incomprehensible to outsiders. Despite the appearance of Chinglish, Japlish, Danglish, Anglicans, and other mixed varieties or interlanguages, their status continues to be hotly debated. Are they examples of code switching, pigeons, or dialects that have borrowed significantly from another language? In former colonies, the appropriation and remodeling represented by mixed forms of English have political and ideological ramifications. Where the standard English of Britain is linked with a nation's colonial past, mixed forms of English come to stand for greater political and national independence. As the novelist Salman Rushdie has written, quote, Those peoples who were once colonized by the language are now rapidly remaking it, domesticating it, becoming more and more relaxed about the way they use it. Assisted by the English language's flexibility and size, they are carving out large territories for themselves within its front." Unquote. The reappropriation and remodeling of English that's apparent in such mixed varieties, driven by communicative and ideological factors, is likely to play a major role in the language's future development. The future. Given this narrative of constant expansion, language mixing, and the new dialect formation, we might wonder what the future is for English of the 21st century. Will its continued spread lead to further fragmentation, so that future speakers of English around the globe will no longer be able to understand each other? Despite the efforts of the Singaporean government, Singlish continues to flourish. As new generations grow up preferring mixed tongues like Singlish in the home, the playground, and on the streets, so these varieties will begin to supplant standard English in the more formal and prestigious domains. While standard English retains an important international function in Singapore, Singlish plays a key role in the establishment of a national identity and in negotiating and maintaining interpersonal relationships. The displacement of standard English in official use in its former colonies would inevitably lead to greater divisions between the English of the inner circle and that used in the expanding circle. 
Would such varieties remain mutually intelligible under such conditions? Linguists have detected the emergence of a variety known as World Standard English in use throughout the globe, which may lend qualified support to such a theory. Although not a single fixed variety, World Standard English appears to be operating as a regionally neutral and increasingly uniform standard, available for use by English speakers of any nation. In its written form, the standard draws upon American conventions of spelling. In chemistry, we find sulfur, S-U-L-F-U-R, rather than S-U-L-P-H-U-R. In computing, we find program, P-R-O-G-R-A-M, not P-R-O-G-R-A-M-M-E. In the spoken language, it remains unclear whether the British prestige received pronunciation accent or the general American accent will come to be recognized as a single agreed standard. A further possibility is that it will be neither British English nor general American that will be selected, but rather a kind of compromise variety that draws on both, and potentially other, Englishes. A possible model for this is the Euro-English that can be heard within the European Parliament, among representatives from throughout the European Union. Predictions about the breakup of the English language into distinct languages are not new. Writing in 1877, the linguist Henry Sweet, the inspiration behind Bernard Shaw's Henry Higgins, asserted that in a hundred years, quote, England, America, and Australia will be speaking mutually unintelligible languages, unquote. While Sweet's confident forecast warns us against attempting to predict the future, it also reminds us that gloomy prophecies about the end of English as we know it are not new and do not necessarily come true. That segment was adapted from How English Became English by Simon Horobin, with permission from Oxford University Press, USA. Copyright 2016. All rights reserved. And now onto the surprising origin of jury-rigged. You've probably heard of something being jury-rigged. That means patched together in a temporary manner. For example, is the rear fender of your car held on with duct tape? Are the batteries in your remote kept in place with a rubber band? If so, they've been jury-rigged. But what does rigged mean, and how does a jury get involved? Well, it turns out one doesn't. The word jury in this phrase has nothing to do with people sitting in a courtroom deciding on guilt or innocence. Rather, jury is a nautical term. It means a temporary mast put up on a sailing vessel. Imagine an old-fashioned ship with three masts, like the USS Constitution. The Constitution's main mast, the one in the middle, is 220 feet tall. That's taller than a 15-story building. Ships can't exactly carry extras of those on board. If a mast like that were broken in a battle or a storm, the ship's carpenter would be in a pinch. He'd have to cobble together a replacement out of whatever materials he had on board. And that's where we get jury-rigged. The jury mast he made would then be rigged up, that is, placed into position in the center of the deck. By the way, the origin of the term jury in this phrase is unknown. It may come from the old French a jury, which means aid, but that's not certain. And that's your tidbit for today. If something's jury-rigged, it's put together hastily in a makeshift manner. 
That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or at dragonflyedit on Twitter. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find all the Grammar Girl articles at quickanddirtytips.com. Did you know that I've also published seven books about language? Summer's a great time to brush up on your skills. You could get Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, my New York Times bestseller, to get a comprehensive and fun overview of the basics. That's all. Thanks for listening. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.